I'm Holly Whitaker. And I'm Emily McDowell. And this is Quitted. A podcast about quitting. Hey, Emily McDowell. Hey, Holly Whitaker. So today is your episode. And um, are you nervous? Are you nervous to do this? I mean, you've been on podcasts before. I've been on some podcasts. Yes. Um, So that part doesn't make me nervous. What part makes you nervous? (laughs) I think that like sharing details of a story that I've never shared before in such detail makes me nervous. Yeah. Okay. So going places you, know, you haven't gone before. Yeah. Like what, what about it makes you nervous? Um, it makes me feel a little vulnerable, a little bit exposed, mm. you know, the fear of somehow saying something wrong mm-hmm. or, you know, upsetting Getting someone. Getting the police at your or, house. Right. Yeah, or, you know, right, the all those police. things, disappointing mm-hmm. somebody. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what if a stranger doesn't like me, what will happen? Mm, we were talking about this the other day. We're like, well, we don't like most people. Why do we worry about people liking us? Um, yeah, no, I get oh. it. I get it. But I think, um, I mean, do you, first of all, like, you know, have you ever heard the term? I know I like everyone probably has heard this, but vulnerability hangover, mm-hmm. right? Like the Brene yeah. Brown thing. Yep. Yeah. Have you ever had one? Like a serious one? Oh my God. Yes. Like every post you make? Had. Yeah. Not every post, but like a lot of them. Yeah. You know, a lot of them. Yeah. And that I've gotten used to. And it's funny because it's just like the vulnerability hangover from an Instagram post is like only 18 sentences worth of hangover. And so the hangover from an hour long interview is like an hour long interview's worth of hangover, which feels just bigger. Mm-hmm. This is a brilliant interview. I loved where we went in this. You talk about a lot of really difficult things and and you have given me over the course of our friendship and over the course of this past year permission to feel the things that I feel and hate the things that I hate and and what you've given me a language to talk about, you know, like why personal brand is so toxic and why it's untenable and why building a business this thing that all of us are now supposed to do, I guess, uh, or is, <laughs> is like, thank you, capitalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, out of our art and our creativity is, is, is really costly. And so I'm excited for people to get to hear this side of you. I don't think that this is out there on the internet and in all of the podcasts you've been on that you've never listened to. And I'm excited before we go on to that. Have anything to say before I do this part? No. Okay. So, Quitted is a weekly podcast with new episodes dropping every Thursday. Before you forget, subscribe to Quitted wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, review us. That helps too. Quitted is listener supported. It's made possible by us and by you. You can support this podcast by joining our Patreon community at patreon.com forward slash Quitted. Welcome to Emily's episode. I'm so excited to do this. And I think, um, I mean, let me just start here. So this is an episode where we're talking about you and why you're doing this podcast. But what I have, you you and I knew each other from the internet not so long ago. Like all we knew of each other was what we post on Instagram. And it's interesting because from that fractional information we've, we built, I think, full, almost full, 
ideas about each other. And what I have come to know since becoming a good friend of yours in the past year is how different you are and similar, obviously, but how different you are than what I perceived of you from the internet. And I think what's so fascinating, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's really fascinating about you, but I think what's so fascinating, and I have the same issue, is how I think distorted, and distorted sounds like negative, but how different your view of what you think the internet thinks of you is than what what I perceive of you and your brilliance and and your contribution and what you do. I think it's it's so interesting to me to get to know somebody that for years, like four or five years, I've known only through Instagram posts. Yeah, I am. Um, actually, is that negative? Or I no. mean, to me, that's a positive thing because you're so much more. You're so much more. And I think that that's what's well, rich about Well, thank you. This. I think that, you know, anybody, you can only have so many dimensions in eight lines, you know, um, and a photo or a video, which I don't do. Um, <laughs> so let's say a photo. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm actually, I'm interested to know how you feel like I'm different and similar, but maybe that's for a different podcast. I think what's so surprising to me has been that you, like I see you as kind of a wise person that I learn from. That's what I see you as. I don't see you as the empathy card woman. I didn't even know like until we became friends, this whole history of of you and building your business. To me, I think what I, I, I follow you because I learn from you. I follow you because you make me breathe easier. I follow you because you're full of of wisdom that I need. And I think that, um, I don't know. I just, I think it's interesting. I don't necessarily think, I mean, I think you understand that for, for sure because you're called to, to be that. And that is what you do, right? You drop wisdom and you relate and you expose things and you talk about what's actually happening. And you, you really break down, you try so hard to break down the barriers the internet puts up. But what I see is somebody that's just, like the 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 greeting card stuff and the business stuff and the you know all of that is to me just an aside. Yeah, I think that for all of us, you know, the image that we have or the the story that we have about ourselves and how people see us is there's a gap between that and reality, you know, whether you're a public-ish figure online or not. And for me, so much of the last 10 years of my life has been about building and unbuilding and rebuilding and, you know, being involved with this stationary business that I founded. And so I think of, when I think of myself, so much of, of me is tied up in that. And actually, that's what I've spent the last couple of years trying to really examine and undo a lot in my own head and separate me, the person, from Emily McDowell, the business, which mm. was originally called Emily, Emily McDowell, McDowell. <laughs> and, and is now called <laughs> Em and Friends. Yes. Who's Em? We don't know. Um, yeah. Some lady. Some lady. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. And I think you have so much to contribute on this. So I guess the first thing let's talk about, and I want I want to know a little bit 
more uh, is about your your history. I think I texted you like, hey, would you want to do a podcast after we talked on the phone maybe three times? And it felt like, you know, like asking someone to move in after three dates. And um, you were like, yes, I do. And so, <laughs> and and this concept, Quitted, was something that you brought, right? Like you brought to the table. This was something you had been thinking about and you had been talking about with someone else. And and this is, you know, kind of how we knew when we we knew when we we spent, you know, like probably a couple of weeks kicking around ideas or probably a couple of months thinking about it and kicking out ideas. And then we decided on quitted. And I guess I'm I'm curious, take us to like how did you get to this place of being passionate about talking about quitting shit? So I have been wanting to do a podcast for a long time. And I have been too afraid to do it myself. And so I've been like <laughs> kind of waiting for somebody to ask me to do a podcast <laughs> so that I could like uh-huh. make myself do it and um and have that as like a impetus and a framework to do it to do that in. And um I had actually been talking about the idea for quitted with my friend Nora McInerney, who hosts Terrible Thanks for Asking and is brilliant. Mm. And for me, really one of the things that motivates me and motivates the work that I do is talking about the things that don't get talked about and that end up living in our cells and causing disharmony and grief Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. pain and trauma. And So much of the work, when I started my card company, it was about making cards for the relationships we really have, right? Like it was about, it was based in the fact that I couldn't find cards 10 years ago that reflected my reality. Mm -hmm. All the Valentines were like, I love you so much. And my Valentine's days were like, are we together? I don't really know. Like I'm sleeping (laughs) with you. Do I, is there a card for that? And, you know, gushing Mother's Day stuff. And it was like, you know, our relationship is complicated. Here's a card. So I I really felt like I wanted to create something that reflected my reality and that reflected, you know, a more complex reality. Right. And then, you know, that became empathy, you know, empathy cards, which are our cards for illness and loss, came out of that. In that same idea of like, let's be honest about this and let's talk about this. And one of the few truths I know for sure is that when we talk about how fucked up we all are, we feel less fucked up about it. Yeah. And so one of the things I've noticed about life is how we don't learn how to end things. Ending is failure, right? Like ending is like this thing that you're supposed to do quietly and alone and it's not ritualized and it's not celebrated and it's hard, you know, and and it's traumatic and like people don't talk about undoing things. Yeah. But really like we ha- we go through life having to undo so many things and and having to quit things. And we quit things in order to do other things. And so quitting is really this piece of our human existence that like, just doesn't get 
the airtime um, that I think it should. And like, I have been in this place where I guess the shortest version possible is that I built a brand based on my image and my actual name and my personality. And you did this in 2010, right? And you did this like... No, 2012. Okay. But you did this at like basically the like the dawn of Instagram and the dawn of yes. influencer culture, which is really important Absolutely. as well. Yes. It was, it was timed and completely unintentionally with the dawn of what became, um, you know, the, the um, drumbeat of personal brand, right? And I started this company, I was an artist, you know, I was doing the illustration and the writing and I just was, it was not a company. It was just me. And I didn't have a better idea for the name of it than my name. And there was no strategy behind it. It was more just like, I want to get this Etsy shop up and I don't have a better idea. And I, you know, I remember thinking like it worked for Jonathan Adler, which is funny because Truly, I have no idea if it actually worked for Jonathan Adler. Like, it worked in that he has, like, lifestyle stores from the productivity capitalist perspective. Like, that worked. But, like, for him as a human being, did it work? No clue, you know? Mm. Like, and... Like, is he happy? Does Is he proud of the brand? Does it kill, like, does it crush him? Does he have to, like, live in the forest and... Totally. Like, does he, you know, does he feel like... All of those questions, right? Like, and I don't freaking know. And so I started this thing that was originally called Emily McDowell. And then within like six months, I was like, oh my God, I can't have employees because it, it blew up pretty quickly. And I was like, it's weird to have employees and call your the brand your name mm-hmm. because people expect you to answer the phone. And mm-hmm. it was just like, it was this kind of like mind fuck, like, wait, no, this is, I can't do this. And so I called it Emily McDowell Studio mm-hmm. at first. Um and then it's and then it was Emily McDowell and Friends, and now it's M and Friends. So it's been through some permutations, and all of those things were designed to create a bit more space between me, the person, and what the brand is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because ten years in to having a brand named after you and sort of being a human brand. 10 years of Instagram posts later, mm-hmm. personal brand is a really difficult concept. Like there is some real sort of spiritual and human cost to being something where for a decade you've monetized yourself. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting here is that you followed the playbook, right? Which is Mm -hmm. you had something, you had an idea, you had a talent, you had a gift, you brought that, you brought that gift to, to life in the form of product, in the form of, of an offering, um, with the intent of, alleviating suffering, right? I'm assuming you didn't do this to, you know, to be to become Oprah or get rich as fuck. Um but probably no, you don't get rich as fuck starting a stationary <laughs> company. I mean, <laughs> mo- most people don't. That's right. You and I've talked about this before, which is it's not even just the personal brand, it's also 
this idea that if you have something good and it resonates, it's your duty to scale it and to grow it at all costs. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, that is, and it's such bullshit. And it's this idea that like, if something is good, make it bigger. That's right. Like, make it bigger, make it bigger. And that's so hardwired into me that when we started having early success and people started demanding, you know, the public was like, I want more of this. It was like, I didn't even question whether it was a good idea to grow it or to try to grow it. You know, it was like, of course, I'm going to grow this. Of course, of course. And what I didn't know is that when you grow something, the job really changes. You know, that like with growth comes a completely different company structure and your role changes. And I really struggled with balancing, like how to be how to be an artist and a writer and how to be CEO of a company that was growing. And, you know, at our at our biggest, we had there were like 15 or 16 of us. And half of them were warehouse staff and we had built a warehouse in Las Vegas and had had all of these sort of twists and turns. And it was, uh, it was not the job I wanted. Yeah. And I didn't know that going in, you know, and it's, and it sounds funny because like, it's kind of like a duh, but it, it's it not. really, for me, it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And like for you, you know, you did this too, right? Like you, oh, yeah. you grew Tempest and raised money and it turned into something different. It turned me into something different and it turned my my day-to-day into something different. And I think this is this is such an important point in all of this because you you know, we're we're getting to why are you doing a podcast on quitted, right? Why are you why are you talking about this? And such a big piece of your story is that you left something that felt untenable um to start something with this, like you, you left advertising and you moved into creating your own business. And this is supposed to be delightful and freeing and wonderful. And what we're all after, be your own boss and then have great success. And then it grows and then you become this, you know, and what you're, you know, there's two things. I mean, there's a lot of things, but there's two threads that are really interesting, which is one, it was at the cost of turning yourself into a personal brand and and having to keep that up. And then it was also, you know, kind of at the cost of like the original intention and the thing that made it good and made you come alive and made you want to get out of bed in the morning. And I think that what's so – what I think is a universal th- thing for most of us is that we have expectations and ideas and we move forward into things. And then I know for me, and I wonder if this is true for you, when I started to drown in it, you know, when I was like, wait, this is so different than what I thought it was going to be. And it's kind of killing me. I also felt like I wasn't allowed to like question it. Right. Yeah. Because you, what happens when you get what you want and you hate it? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like what happens it. when you you have a dream and you pursue that dream and it and it comes true and it's like and the whole world is like yay and you're like yay yay like <laughs> I wait am I like and you feel you feel dumb. I mean like I felt 
I felt dumb. Like I felt like an idiot because I had put myself, I had gotten myself into the situation where I was living a life that from the outside looked amazing and and it was what I wanted. Like it was what and I enviable. had tried to do and that I was like you said, like you, I was drowning in it. And um, the day-to-day responsibility of having, of just having that much responsibility was so difficult. And for me, managing a lot of people was really difficult. Um, It turns out like I had, I liked to think that I was going to be this like amazing boss. And it turns out that like, (laughs) I am not that great of a boss. No, You know, like I am... I'm a good mentor, I think, and yes. I am cheerleader. A creative, I'm a good creative director. Yeah, but like being responsible for everyone's role and everyone's vacation and everyone's, you know, resp- like and thinking through all those where, logistics, right? Like thinking through logistics and like motivating different people in different ways, mm-hmm. you know, and like certain people love change and need it, and certain people hate change, and mm-hmm. so like there's all kinds of personality psychological stuff that goes into being a good boss and I didn't have the bandwidth to do that in the way that it needed to be done um and I also didn't love it yeah. and it it wasn't like my gift you yeah. know in the same way that like writing or illustrating or some of communication you know some of the other stuff and so that that piece was really was really tough and and painful too because there literally are people that are born to run companies. I've met them. Yes. I know them. They're wonderful. They're they have a skill set that like confounds me and and I don't have that skill set. And but you're taught this idea. You really are. And this is like specific in you know you bootstrapped in VC world. Like you're on the line, right? To other people who have given you money to be able to do what, you know, is, is typically not ingrained in anybody, but a special subset of people that are meant to lead companies. And I think that that part is so, it's so fascinating because you're just like, you suck at something and you didn't get into something to spend most of your time doing something that you suck at and are also right. probably, you know, and I know in my case, you know, criticized for and hated for and all sorts of stuff. It's so misunderstood because it's just a, it's an art form. That's not yeah, mine. It absolutely, it absolutely yeah. is, you know, and then, you know, so there was that piece of it. And then there was the piece of realizing that, you know, I th- of the personal brand piece for me, yeah. which is like, I definitely, and I have a, I have very mixed feelings about this because I've absolutely benefited in having a brand named after myself in certain ways. Um, and I'm all for using talents and gifts to make a living. And I think that there are certain times when using your own name for something makes absolute sense. Yeah. Um, and if you can get paid to be yourself, which is like a phrase that gets thrown around, thrown around, I think that's wonderful, you know, and I'm grateful that I have been able to do that. And I, but I think that where the personal brand stuff gets tricky is like over time mm-hmm. because you can, anyone can do that for a year. You know, I could do it for a year, two years, but five years, 10 years. The problem is like when you, 
commodify your personality. Mm-hmm. It sets up the idea that people can expect one thing from you because that's what a brand is. Like a brand is literally a fixed set of parameters that don't change. Yeah. Like I worked in advertising for 10 years. You know, brands have guidelines and rules and like you know what you're going to get. There's a brand book and you follow the brand book. And the goal is for the brand to be iconic and consistent in its messaging. Yes, consistent. It's literally at odds which, with the nature of being a human being, mm-hmm. which is that we change and we grow and we become different versions of ourselves and we like mess up and we contradict ourselves and, you know, we're human. And the, and the other piece of that, I mean, it just, so then you get locked in really to this idea that you're not allowed to change because people have invested in you, like as in they buy your products, they follow your words. And you have a warehouse full of millions of products that you have to sell, you know, and, and your employees' jobs are all predicated upon that. On this, on you being the person you advertised you were 10 years ago. Right. That Mm -hmm. is what we're saying. And I like, I mean that to say, like, on you being the same person you were when you created this. Right. 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 And which isn't, which isn't bad. It's not horrible. It's just, you know, there is not room. You go, you end up going, going into work and feeling stuck in this old version of yourself. Yeah. And like, for me personally, it was that I, I think like I've had this, you know, obviously a similar experience to this. Like, there's also this idea that like you're you're going to dis- – like like when you can't get it up, you know, in the same way you used to or you can't – you don't have the same passion or whatever, it's really disappointing. And it makes you feel like what's wrong with me, like that I mm-hmm. am – that I'm divergent from the, from this this thing I used to do. Do, does that mm-hmm. hit or does that not hit? No, it does hit. Um, it does hit. It, it feels like, you know, our interest in things over time naturally is going to ebb and flow. And, you know, I I wonder about these people who've had, you know, 30-year careers of we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. You know, like, do people get tired of it? Like, are people over it? I would think based on my own experience, yes. Yeah. Um, and then you know we have once you once you commodify something and you and you make and you bring in money there becomes this external force that um you know keeps keeps the machine in motion yeah and so it's you know and it's tricky because like i've benefited from that too of course of course you know right yes um and i'm and i'm grateful Super grateful. I love this. Like, then I'm always like, I'm grateful for it and I understand the privilege, you know, and like, and also you're just not allowed to say this also fucking sucks, you know, like without mm-hmm. like making sure, you know, I mean, obviously, like anything that we've done is beneficial, like not anything, but like this is beneficial. Of course it is. You have, you own a company, you know, like you yeah. have your, your name, you have this like incredible name recognition. You've built a platform, you've helped people, you know, there's all sorts of things. But I think like that is often a reason that we're that keeps us from saying like this fucking also sucks or I can't mm-hmm. keep this up. I I want to I want to go to something be, that you said um, because I think this is really important and I just want to also kind of catch us up real quick. So you left advertising in 2012, and then you started 
Emily McDowell and then Emily McDowell Studios in 2012. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing this for in various evolutions for the past almost 10 years now. Mm-hmm. It's 2022. Yeah, almost 10 years. You've built something incredible. You have built a brand, right? You have established yourself, to, to people like me at least, as somebody that's worth listening to, an authentic um, storyteller and permission giver. Um, you know, you've done, you have a lot of, of stuff that you've built up in the last 10 years. But the thing that I think, one of the things you said to me when we were developing this episode is, I was supposed to be this beacon of empathy and I had zero empathy for myself, holding myself to impossible standards. But I felt like I had to keep going because I had an obligation to my employees. I had an obligation to the people who bought my work, to our customers and our retailers and everyone who thought I was a spokesperson for illness. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, empathy cards were this thing that we we launched in 2015 that really blew up, that really, they ended up getting this insane amount of attention from the press. And, you know, it was like 300 major media outlets in a, in a month. And I was on Good Morning America and NBC Nightly News and, you know, the BBC News and all, like all over NPR. And um, the, the company doubled in size overnight in terms of revenue. And that was um, really challenging to manage. And then what also happened is that I was publicly assigned an identity that um, wasn't necessarily in line with how I thought of myself or wanted to be perceived in that it was very narrow. You know, it was like I – so I had cancer um, 20 years ago. I had cancer – I was 25 and I had Hodgkin's lymphoma and the idea for empathy cards and the need – really, that was where it really came from, right? Like just the observation that I'd had in that time that people don't know what to say Mm -hmm. when bad things happen. Um, We don't talk about it. Again, it's one of those other things, like we don't get taught how to respond when a bad thing happens, Mm -hmm. like when someone is sick or, or, or someone has lost somebody. And so you end up with platitudes and you end up with like, and it's Get all well in soon. an attempt. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll try. Cool. Attempt to say something, you know, helpful, but we don't, we don't know how to do that. Most of us don't get taught how to do that. And that really, you know, that really struck a nerve because it it's true. Like it was really universal. And so all of a sudden I, so when I had cancer, after I finished my chemo and my radiation, I wanted to move on. Like, I remember thinking, like, I do not want this illness to define me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not, this will never be an important piece of my identity. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, literally thinking that. So it was so weird to open up my browser and see a headline about myself that was like, cancer survivor makes the card she wishes she'd gotten. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like, oh my God, ah. Yeah. And so it, it really publicly led with this identity of mine or this this thing that had happened to me and assigned me an identity that um, while it was a piece of me had never really been a way that I conceived of myself or defined myself. Yeah. And what then was, it was so hard about that is that, you know, overnight I became this sort of de facto spokesperson for illness and grief, which 
we need it, you know, so necessary. Yeah. And also, I didn't necessarily feel equipped to be that person, nor did I really want to be. Yeah. Um, because it's kind of a it's kind of a tough place to live day in and day out for years. Well, it's exhausting. I mean, people know me, you know, I was a specific, like, I just, the, like, the least interesting thing about me is that I'm sober. And, and I mean that, like, I think it's fascinating when people quit drinking. It, I, I think, like, there's so much built into that. But I'm just like, oh my God, there's so much more to me than this one specific thing. A lot of stuff was built off of it. I'm assuming for you, surviving cancer fucking changed your life, like in ways that still like, you know, impact you and, and will forever. And also it's just not interesting after a while because you're not there anymore. And it just keeps Mm -hmm. you stuck in this perpetual state of being reduced to something. And so I don't know if that feels resonant, but I, I understand that it's, it's exhausting being reduced. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, and I felt, and I felt so like, honored by the fact that we were getting thousands of emails from people sharing their personal stories and saying, you know, these cards are helping. I had a conversation with my son and I've not, you know, like these beautiful, amazing stories about feeling seen and feeling, you know, like someone got it for the first time in a, you know, it's so simple. It's just a card, you know, but like the act of being able to walk into a store and seeing something that reflects your reality is like really important. You know, that's a representation, right? You feel seen in a way. And so like it meant so much to me and it still means so much to me. And it was tough because I was like, we have this whole other piece of the business. Like that's the, that's, we make 300 other products and like it was, um, it was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this other stuff anymore. Um, and it was also really complicated because from a business perspective, what like other stuff, what's this other stuff? Oh, like just, um, just like, you know, dish towels and like, you know, funny shit for Valentine's day and like things that I personally enjoyed making. And why did you feel that you weren't able to like, what is that? Because they weren't, solving a real problem and you felt you were responsible yeah and i felt i definitely felt responsible for continuing to help solve a problem that i had recognized and sort of stumbled upon yeah and then we also had wholesale which was really important and most of our retailers were afraid of buying empathy stuff because they were like "Ah, where does that go in my store or like that's different and like a lot of and not all of course there's some amazing exceptions but a lot of retailers are much more conservative when buying product in terms of they want something that's a known seller like they want a proven because they're taking a risk and they're buying 6 or 12 of something they want to make sure it's going to sell and so they want something that feels fresh but like not too fresh you know like not not too weird because um they're f- afraid it won't sell and so it was this weird, like, sort of push pull where we had, um, we had the general public wanting something, and then we had retailers wanting a different thing, and that got complicated, and it and it was just more management, you know, and 
2015, 16, and 17 were incredibly hard years for me personally. Um, And from the outside, you know, I had people on Instagram saying every day, I want your life. And me being like, no, you don't, you know, and um, it was the dissonance was really hard. And I, was, I guess I'm trying to get to what the, the, the dissonance of the dissonance of me feeling like I was miserable and I had built something unsustainable for you, for me, and that had from the outside all of the traditional markers of success. Like our sales were good and the company was profitable. And you know, I remember, you know, talking, I remember our CPA saying like, well, you could bring in a business partner, but like, why would you? Because the company is doing great. And like, you clearly are able to, to run something like you clearly have, you know, an understanding of what's required to run an organization and to make it profitable. And from his point of view, and from like, you know, the tr- our traditional sort of capitalist point of view, the company was doing great, but I was not doing great, yeah. you know, and I, and it didn't work for me. I had such like internalized, really internalized capitalism and like internalized ideas of what I was, what this was supposed to be like, that mm-hmm. I wasn't able to stop and say like, I'm sick all the time and I'm exhausted and like, I hate this and this has to change, you know, and it took really three years of like grinding through it and really like putting my body and mind and spirit and heart through some like really tough things before I said, okay, I have to change something. Like I cannot do this in this way anymore. I think it's so, it's so important to string this together, you had all the markers for success. Like it was doing all the things that it should be doing. And you also personally had all the markers of success, your own company, you know, like a you know, brand recognition. It's your passion. It's your creative outlet. You also had this enormous responsibility of uh, to other people or to being this person um, and to, like you had just said a few minutes ago, right, this responsibility to be this person to deliver on this promise because of you, because of the effect and the impact that it had, like the real effect and impact that it had on people. Mm-hmm. And, and then also the statement that I read at the beginning was, and you had no empathy for yourself. And I think that that's, that to me was one of the loneliest places because there's nothing that will make you feel like even more of a fucking failure than if you have all the markers for success and this sense of responsibility and you can't keep it up and the thing you created is meant to heal and you're actually getting like killing yourself and making yourself sick over it. And then that's like, oh, if you only knew the truth, you know, like Mm -hmm. about how sick I am and how depressed I am and how anxious I am, you know, (laughs) the whole thing would I know. It's a mess. The whole thing. Right. And I felt guilty. I felt like there was something wrong with me for how I felt because I felt like I was supposed to be enjoying it. This should be great. You know, 
And I knew that I was like privileged and lucky and, you know, fortunate. And that this is this. And I had the dream, like I, because I set out to do a thing and then I did it. And then I hated it, you know, and my idea of what it was going to be like just didn't, didn't match with the reality of what it actually was like. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that was, (laughs) that was a hard lesson, um, you know, and, and I made a big change at the end of 2017. So just over four years ago, um, I had the opportunity to sell 90% of the brand to Knock Knock um, and become an equity partner in joint in, in both brands. And, mm-hmm. and Knock Knock, if you don't know them, they have been, this is their 20th year in business. They're a much more established brand in our space. They do notepads and gift books, journals, and um. Their CEO and founder, and who's now my business partner, was a friend of mine. And we ended up joining the companies together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really in an effort to, to make this feel sustainable for me. Yeah. And also, you know, one of the things that I had learned that I did not know um, about when you have a company and you name it after yourself um, mm. and you do all the creative work yourself, it really paints you into a corner in terms of creating an actual brand. Like you're not an actual brand, you're an artist. Because a brand means that other people help to execute the work. The brand is the brand is work that can be executed by a team. And when your company depends on you to create all of its products, it actually isn't worth a whole lot, you know, because you go with it, right? Like mm-hmm. if you get hit by a bus, there's no company. Yeah. So it's not like you can be like, I've built a company and now I'm going to sell That's it right. because it depends on you. You're the value. You're the IP. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of my my last four years has been this sort of long, slow separation of myself the person from what what now M and Friends is as a brand and becoming a creative director you know stepping back from slowly stepping back from writing all the work and illustrating all the work and now it's a team and i'm creative directing that team and i'm still you know i'm, I'm very involved but i'm not Executing. Well, you don't um, run the company anymore, and I, think, I don't run the company. Yeah, right. But let's and back like, up. Before, hold, yeah. hold, hold. I think the thing that we want to get into in this, right, is like the moment, right? Like the moment of like some kind of recognition. You're in hell, right? Like something's not working, and you feel like you're supposed to keep it up. And I think what I'm really interested in hearing about because you did in I guess 2018 reestablish yourself as Emily on Life on Instagram, on Instagram, you changed Mm -hmm. and like came out as yourself. Um, And Mm -hmm. right. I think it's, it's important you figured out a new sustainable model, but also I think that like that kind of in some way paints over how excruciating it was to, to say no and not this and Mm -hmm. how, so I want you like, what was that like to be able to like, surrender to I can't do this in the way that I'm supposed like I'm you know quote unquote supposed to do it and then also what was it like after doing that because you had to Mm. adjust from 
one dream and one identity to a total other one. And I'll tell you what I saw. I saw on the other end of this on Instagram, I saw somebody that was like, whew, you know, like I, I'm in Bali and I created a new Instagram account where I'm just going to fucking talk. And, um, so I think it's important to kind of understand like, what was that process yeah. like? Cause it had to have been really hard. It was hard. So I had to get through and work through a lot of feelings around having failed. Like that I couldn't do it all and I couldn't I couldn't figure out a way forward on my own. Mm. Because I felt like if I had been better, you know, or if I had been not me, that I would have been able to figure this out, you know, and I wouldn't have had to sell 90% of it. You know, I wouldn't have had to turn it over. Yeah. Um, and I had really, you know, I had a lot of just really difficult feelings to work through around that. And because I was ashamed, I was, yeah, I was, ashamed, I would say I was ashamed of having, of having failed, of having not been able to do it on my own. Yeah. And I was also, I was grateful that this solution had come along because the alternative I really think would have been I would have had to do something drastic, you know, whether it would have been closing all of wholesale or all of our direct business or closing down entirely because I was having a nervous breakdown. I don't yeah. know, yeah. you know, I really don't know. Yeah. And isn't that interesting? Like I think that that's like such an important part of this. Like when I hit my end, like I had the the major fuck it. Like fuck this, fuck it. I can't. And which means it got to a, a really bad point. And mm -hmm. you just said like nervous breakdown, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say that like when we merged in January of 2018 and I was like a shell of a person, you know, and mm -hmm. it was like, and what I didn't know then is that you know, anytime you merge companies and we were merging multiple, it wasn't just us. It was us. And then we and and there was also a third brand in the mix um, that was brought on smaller at the same time. And it was really difficult yeah. to merge three organizations and everything from, you know, it was difficult logistically. It was difficult operationally. It was difficult in terms of roles and personalities and different cultures at the different organizations coming together. And I didn't, you know, I had this idea that like we would merge, I would be able to give up, you know, all the, the aspects of my job that were not creative which at the time was like 85% of my job, you know, um, so much of my job was, was actually running the company yeah. and, and um, not doing the work, operational yeah. stuff and, you know, strategy stuff and I mean, everything, just not doing the work, the creative work. And I was going to be able to give that up and then like, it would be great, you know, and eventually that's what happened, but it took a long time to get there. You know, it took about a year and a half of more, you know, just, just hard stuff, like just, just hard, hard stuff in order to 
come to the place where I'm at now. And in order to get to the place where I was able to go to to Bali. So what happened for me was we, you know, we, the companies merged and, and I was like running on fumes. Like I was a totally, yeah, a shell of a a person, shell of a person. And four months later, after the merger, I went on my first vacation that I had taken in Mm. many years. Mm -hmm. And I went to Bali for two weeks with a, one of my best friends. And it was the first time in like five years that I had not been attached to my work email and my work everything and my work brain and my work identity and my work work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need more of this. I need to do this. Being in Being in Bali really helped facilitate that for me. I mean, it was like this, it was the actual physical separation of being like 13,000 miles away. And it was just a completely different space. Mm-hmm. And so I came back from that trip feeling like, a, just feeling kind of a, a new understanding that my, my work now was going to be about getting healthy. Yeah. And what I've come to learn is that all of the major life changes that I've made and the p- things that have had the most positive impact on me have not been the things that I've started doing, but have come from the things that I've mm-hmm. stopped doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Because why? Well, first of all, like, in order to start doing anything new, you have to stop. You have to first stop doing what's not working. Yeah. And the idea of what's not working has to really come from you internally because the world is like a, you know, <laughs> like our culture is fucking twisted, right? And like society will tell you that something is working and it will yell it real loud at you. And the real task is to be able is or to isn't working. It isn't. Well, they're going to tell you it is working. Oh, like society they're gonna look at, tells society you it is, is going to look at is going to look at you and, and say be you're like crazy. You've got it. Stick with uh-huh. this. Keep this. Keep going. Yep. Keep going. You know what do you mean? Like what do you mean you're not happy? What do you mean? You know mm. because a lot of the time our inner voice that says I don't just I don't want this defies logic and logic comes from like all of the things that we're taught about what we're supposed to want and like capitalism and like security and safety and like you know all of these things right well yeah you don't run towards the edge of the cliff and jump off you know like you Mm -mm. and so that inner voice telling you like this job isn't right or this marriage isn't right or this whatever isn't right that voice so much of the time is going to be at odds with the people around you, with the culture, with the messaging that you receive. With the people invested in your The people staying, invested, that absolutely. Per, that have like a, you know, will personally, it'll personally cost them. hmm hmm mm-hmm. Especially. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it will also, a lot of the time, it will personally cost you things. Yeah. You know, like. Oh, it absolutely will. It will cost, it will cost you all kinds of things, you know, security or what's known or, you know, where it was with the company for me was I really was at a place where I could not have physically or emotionally or mentally or spiritually gone on, right? Like it like pushed me to the edge of my ability to be a person. And so like clearly I was in a place where I was like, something has to change. Yeah. Um, I can't keep doing this. Mm -hmm. And I think actually those decisions are easier than the decisions that, that come where when something is good, like when something is like quote unquote fine, but you know inside that it's not right. Like when something is working okay, but there's a voice inside you that's like, ah, this isn't. Well, like external evidence, right? Says good. External evidence evidence says says no. Mm -hmm. I think it's harder. It's harder to walk away from, from those, from the things that you're like, I could go on. I could keep doing this. And it would be easy to keep doing this. But there's something inside me that says it's not right. And I think what's so subversive about it is you're talking about, you're doing it for external, like if all these external things say yes, but the internal part says no, that's also what can be deemed as selfish, right? That's also oh like this idea yes. that you're just being a selfish twat and choosing yourself <laughs> and only looking out for yourself. Yes. Oh, my God. A hundred percent, you know, and we have so many ideas about what selfish is and means. And especially as women, we get taught that being selfish is like the worst thing you can oh, be. Totally. You know, absolutely. Um, that we're supposed to take care of everybody else. And that it's sort of like hardwired into, into, to put yourself last to mother, to, to basically mm-hmm. take care of everyone else's feelings first and foremost. And, if you're thinking of yourself, then, you know, you're breaking the social pact that says that's that's not your role. You're not allowed right. to do that. Right. And and people will judge you, you know, and this mm. idea that people will judge you and mm-hmm. that you'll judge you and that and that you should judge yourself. Um oh, yes. because you suck, you know? Like Oh yes. Mhm. I had to wrestle with that. What I did, you know, so in 2019, people who've been following me on Instagram, on Emily on Life, know that I spent, I ended up spending about seven months in Bali um, working remotely. And my entire life, I was, I was by myself. And I had like, all I did was work on me. Like I did the work I, you know, I worked, did my job mm-hmm. from there. And then I spent all of the rest of my waking hours just like focused on me. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly, I mean, it, it was, it was selfish. I mean, it was like when you think about a word to use, like, yes, it was absolutely selfish. Um, and I don't say that in a bad way. Like that was just a neutral, a neutral statement. Like it was very self, it was just completely yeah. self-focused. And that was, so necessary for me. You know, I filled five journals in a year. Like it was, 
it was so, so incredibly necessary for where I was at in my life. And I also really struggled with the idea that it was selfish Um, because I had a partner. I, I I was in a relationship that ultimately did not survive that period. We split up in 2019 and he's still a a close friend and he's a wonderful person. And I came to the realization that although we really loved each other, it wasn't right. Like we weren't, we weren't each other's people like to get to, in terms of the person you're supposed to marry and be with forever. And that was really painful and that was really hard, you know, beyond hard. Like it, that sucked. And well, it was and lost on top of loss, right? Loss on, and, and just, you know, and knowing you're hurting somebody else. And I have, you know, and he has a son who was my stepson. And, you know, we weren't married, but we'd lived together for eight years. Mm-hmm. And I like bailed. I like went to Indonesia. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to. I had to like sit with that and and sit with all those feelings about kind of being a shitty person. Mm, a shitty person, right? You know what? So uh, David Brooks wrote this really good column in the New York Times the other day. And it's about – it was titled something about like America coming apart at the seams. But it was about Americans misbehaving. And it was this like discovery of all the ways that um, – we are hurting and killing ourselves. There's more people are speeding more. There's more just car accidents. Mm. There's more deaths from drug overdose. There's more deaths from alcohol consumption. There's more um, altercations at the airport. Um, there's just like this everywhere you look, there's this steep rise. And what happens is I think this is so like important to understand because at the crux of it, choosing ourselves and to heal ourselves is like it's such important work. It's kind of like the base of all work in the world. It's like yeah, necessary. Yes. And and when you don't, you see it show up in things like that in pain inflicted on other people. Mm-hmm. And but yet we still like you and I have done a lot of research on this and have been in you know in on our healing journey. <laughs> quote unquote our healing journeys for a really long time and we understand fundamentally one must first choose oneself and take care of this vessel and like in order to like to bring forth peace in this world peace in peace out all of that put your own oxygen oxygen mask on first right and we both like I in that development and that knowing of that and that belief in that Still, when it comes to me, I still freak the fuck out about being misunderstood or seen as a total, you know, selfish cunt for 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 choosing my mental health or my sleep or my time or my energy. It's just it's fascinating. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. But you did it anyway. I did it anyway, and for me, it was. The doing it anyway was really because the way that I had been doing it really wasn't working, you know, and I had tried. I mean, I really believed that I could achieve my way into happiness. Mm -hmm. 
Like that was a core belief yeah, for my whole life until like four years ago. And that was, it's so backwards. I have spent the last two years in particular, I moved to Portland right at the beginning of the pandemic and coinciding with stepping back from being, you know, the name and the face of M and Friends and turning over the M and Friends Instagram account mm. a year and a half ago mm-hmm. to a team, a big you know, deal. and it used mm-hmm. it used to be my personal account, you know, and I posted there Ugh, daily yeah. for eight years. And Oof. it's, you know, and it's now and it's a team posting what they're going to post and it's different and it's different than what I would post and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and not you. Yeah. Getting to be okay with yeah, and it and and with with the with the public thinking like, "Oh, Emily's, you know, Emily's not posting this stuff that I like anymore or what, you know, whatever they're thinking." Because people still think it's me and like that's and that's okay. You know, like yeah. I have to be okay with that. I know. Um and and that's just you know and 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 like but my my last two years has been my practice has been like i am not going to fill this extra space in my life with more work mm-hmm. you know i've created some space in my life where i'm only working a, a, like a regular person schedule you know or i'm working just a working a 40 hour week you know and and now working a, like a slightly less than that and Instead of building something else or, you know, launching something else or doing something else, you know, I'm, I'm, you and I are doing this podcast and this is the first project. Like I haven't had the interest or the space or like the creative energy. Yeah. That's what I was For two say. years. Yeah. yeah. You know, to do anything besides like, maintenance hang out yeah like and like i learned how to cook and i like make food and i like hang out with my boyfriend and like i watch tv like i just i'm just fucking doing things that have nothing to do with productivity or achievement or creation and that that has been really important and um i've definitely gone through periods where i've been terrified that like my like boner for creation isn't going to come back. And I also have to trust that it will because it's sort of an intrinsic part of who I am. And I also have to let go of the idea that like it has to. Like, what if it doesn't? Okay. And that's also just such a binary thought too, right? Though like your creativity has gone and your creativity is there. You know, right. like it doesn't account for nuance. This is a creative. I've seen what you've done on this podcast, you know, and I know myself being in the same thing. Like I am creative, like I'm bankrupt too. Like that's, it's like the perfect word to describe it. And mm-hmm. it was, I was a shell of a person. I was scooped out. I was bankrupt, all that. Like I understand that completely. And also, and my boner's gone too, you know, all that stuff. And I somehow, and finding it's just like the tiny, you know, like the tiny little like flowers at the beginning of spring or like the little green shoot. Like I'm like, oh, it's kind of there and then it kind of goes away. But also we don't allow for a lot of nuance in our process 
us moving through life. We don't allow new endings are meant to be really fast, quick and done. And then you're on like, and then you're on to a new thing. And the truth is, you know, endings come for, they they, they come for a long stretch of time before they actually happen. And then there is all that space afterwards. And then new things are not like these startling things. They're they kind of like come in waves too. And so, but we want this all to be so neat. We want it to be so like, you know, well, no, we don't mm-hmm. want it to. We're told it should be. I When I when I left my company, I had a, an advisor tell me he had left a company too. And that he was like, I took three months off and I went to Paris and with my family, you know, and then uh, I just thought I'd never do anything again or something. And then he said, um, and then one day I had two new business ideas and then he started two new businesses. And I have another advisor who went through the same thing that I did. And he already had two new businesses in the works. And I think like when I got to my three month mark, I was just like, I'm supposed to start some, you know, it's supposed to <laughs> right, be like, there. <laughs> uh oh. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I think, and we've talked about this where quitting is only seen as, like a viable, acceptable option if it's like on the way to something Better. bigger. Like you're like, I quit this thing, but then look at this other thing mm. that I made as a result. You know, like look at what I got to do after <laughs> I quit this first thing. Yeah, it made it and worth it. <sighs> made it. It made it worth it. Yeah. And like, that's not real. I no. mean, like, and misses the value of the actual ending itself which is what we were talking about in the beginning. There's a ceremony. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful aspect of anything. Nothing lasts forever. Everything ends. And we do not honor, celebrate, mourn, grieve, you know, or any of the things that we know. I had a friend the other day tell me, I was like, this is what's going on most recently. And like with something and, you know, and she, she said, oh, that's still going on. And it's just like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, we're still <laughs> talking about this thing? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's still going on. And it's the same thing with, you know, it's it's endings in terms of even like death, you know, and like mm-hmm. in terms of yeah. where people think like I should be over this by now. Yeah. Like I lost a person and, you know, like where all of the sympathy comes in the weeks after the person dies and then like. And then you they know, want you to be over it. Then it, it. stops. That's and then right. they want you to be you over need to it. Because like, you need to go and right. produce. Because you need to – I mean, it's just – there is – it's like any – I mean, any loss. Any loss means grief. Any significant mm-hmm. loss. If it's a person, if it's a company, if it's a dream, you know, if it's a home that burned down, there's loss and there's grief. Yeah. And yeah. it registers the same, the different degrees for certain. But there is – a deep intolerance for the allowance of our own processing and, you know, other, from other people for our processing. No one wants to hear, you know, about your ex fucking, you know, person three, like everyone's at the first couple of weeks, I'm here, like whatever, you know, and then like three months mm-hmm. in, it's just like, why are you, <laughs> why? You right. Know? Like, oh, we're still talking we're about still this. still talking okay. about this. But anyway. All right. So last question that I have, and you and I have talked about this a lot. So um, especially as we were building this podcast and we kept on apologizing to each other for, you know, needing to take a week off here or there (laughs) or like, I'm so sorry, meant to get to this thing. We had to keep reminding each other like, hey, 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 this is about quitting. And one of the things that we're quitting 
is this like, you know, is this, is the, the need to apologize or the need to uh, grind on this or the need to turn this into another thing we feel guilty about. So I think that we've come into this with a lot, you know, you said four years ago, you believed that everything was based, you know, that your worth was based on, on, on your success and on your work achievement. And, and also then you said you were creatively bankrupt and also like we're starting a new creative endeavor. And when we put a lot of thought and intent, intention into, and so I think, wh- what is it that, what, how do you want to define, you know, what it is that you're making here? Like, what is it for you? How are you doing things differently? That's such a good question. For me, this podcast is an opportunity to experiment mm. and to have fun and to not, you know, it, to not necessarily like become the quitting lady. You know, like we, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about how we want to bring different energy to the creation of this podcast than to than we have to projects in the past and like for me it is about it's about like a a certain level of like relaxation and fun and just like just like chill man you know <laughs> I mean, that sounds it's like and it's not to say like i i want to be like lazy or like if this happens it happens you know it's like not, or but whatever. that's so funny because that's not laziness and also no. laziness isn't bad you know what i mean yes and it's like and it's i notice when i'm talking about this like how programmed i am to be like it's not lazy it's not don't like, worry everyone i'm still gonna worry. work very hard we're not, it's still going to be very <laughs> we're difficult not, we're not slacking yeah, yeah. Slacking here. Like, we're just gonna be different about it no but it's true like and it requires accepting words that we think are bad yeah and like you know and trying on ease Mm. like so much of my last few years has been about like where is the ease where is the ease and it's been directly at odds with the idea of life that I had for the first 40 years of my life which was that success requires suffering and that life is hard yeah and that that was like virtuous yeah. And that if things were too easy, it was somehow cheating, like and it, cheating or like an indictment of my character. Mm, of course, of course. And so, this I'm seeing this as like this is a way to do a project and to start something new while keeping a value of like valuing ease as part of the process. Uh, can I tell you something really funny? Yes. So. I took a long time off, like nine months off or whatever. I don't even know how, like it, it was so much time and it, and I was so lazy. I don't even remember how long of a time it's been, but I started working a couple weeks ago and I have become so chill that I keep on thinking I haven't started. I keep on thinking I need to start working again, hmm. not because I'm behind on any, I'm not behind on anything, you know, like I'm actually doing the thing. But it's so easy, like, and I, and not that it isn't, there isn't work or effort, but it's like, it's so comfortable that it feels wrong. And I still feel like I haven't started working yet because in my mind, work equals 
sacrifice and torture and pain and and, feeling like shit and feeling like fucking shit. And so I love this. I love that, you know, I think like to the listeners, Emily and I have put, we spent a long time on this (laughs) and it's taken forever because we keep on not compromising on, you know, I think like an interesting thing about you having no empathy for yourself, being the empathy card lady. And, you know, I, I think that in this, you know, and then me, right? Like, like really, really like hurting myself when I'm supposed to be in recovery and healing, yes. you know, and I like to help other people recover and heal. And I think what's so sweet about this is that we're bring we're actually going to try and Walk the walk, not just mm-hmm. talk the talk. Yep. Yeah. And that yeah. feels good. It feels great. I love you and I love your story. And most importantly, I am so grateful to you for for making the decision to not be a hollow shell and to not have a nervous breakdown and actually leading the way and handing over your personal Instagram account making the decisions to take care of yourself and being public about it because that helped me make those same decisions. So. Oh, thank you. And that's so nice. I love you too. And I'm so glad that Instagram brought us together. I'm so glad (laughs) to help it. I'm so glad that I'm so glad that what both of us have gone through and the commonalities of this, the really like sort of shit that we both navigated have ended up bringing us to a place where we can understand each other from a from like a real kind of deep place yeah. and lived experience yeah. and that's incredibly valuable 